Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 694 with Kalsum Clavon. Consumers are looking for an experience. They're looking for a destination. They're looking for more than just food. They're looking for, as you mentioned, sort of a, a place where they can come together and experience something social and connect and interact and, you know, have a degree of adventure associated with all of it and experimentation. We're curating an, an experience. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Don Professional, it does more than just save greasy oil slick and ducks. It also happens to be the number one dish detergent found in almost every commercial kitchen with long lasting suds that clean 58% more dishes per sink. To learn more, go to www.pgpro.com and experience the grease fighting power of Don Professional dishwashing liquid. You can find Don Professional at Sam's Club or by visiting samsclub.com slash Don Professional. For years, restaurant owners have been pleading for more integration in their restaurants, and they finally got it. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based, all-in-one, restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with POS systems, payroll providers, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and a free inventory build in Restaurant 365 a value of $5,000. Ladies and gents, you've got to own your presence online because that's where your first impressions are made. Good thing there's Bento Box because Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships directly through their websites. To learn more about Bento Box and how it can empower you through your website, head over to getbento.com slash unstoppable. And because you are a restaurant unstoppable listeners, you'll save 50% off your setup fee. Again, that's getbento.com slash unstoppable. Hey, what's going on, Unstoppables? So I have a great episode for you today. But before I hit play on what we got for you, I want to let you know about another podcast you should be listening to if you're digging Restaurant Unstoppable. This podcast is called QSR Magazine's Fast Forward. It brings you interviews between QSR editor Sam Okis and some of the fast casual restaurant industry's most illustrious leaders. I'm talking about Kava's Brett Shulman and Chipotle's Brian Nicole to Mod Pizza's Ali and Scott Svensson. Uh, so head over to qsrmagazine.com slash podcast for the full archive or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And I wish I found this thing seven years ago. Who knows if I did, maybe I wouldn't have even started Restaurant Unstoppable. So um, now on to what we have for you today. I have Kalsum Clavon on the show. Kalsum is a curator of of food halls. So basically what her job is, is she, she's the filter between the food hall and the restaurant tour. She's deciding who goes in to these full, the, into these food halls that she is opening across the nation. Uh, she's working with the food hall company. Uh, they have a food hall just outside of Dallas, Texas and uh, Nashville, Texas, or sorry, Nashville, Tennessee. And they have a few other projects in the works right now. And then today's show, we talk about basically if you're a restaurant tour, what things you need to know if you want to be a part of a food 
hall uh what those contracts between food hall and restaurant tour look like uh some things you might be interested in in knowing if you're looking to start your own food hall and just a whole bunch of different things so it's a really great episode um this is totally new area for me and i think it shows um very just you can tell my curiosity in today's chat and uh Kulsum did a great job answering my question so with no further ado here it is Kulsum clavon with the food hall company with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Kalsum Clavon. Kalsum, I gotta ask, are you feeling unstoppable today? You bet. <laughs> yes, that is what we like to hear. So, Kalsum Clavon is the vice president of curation at the Food Hall Company, and today we're here to discuss uh, this unique perspective, or your 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 unique perspective on food and beverage pertaining to the food hall world, which is kind of a, a mystery for a lot of people because it's kind of a re-emerging segment within the industry. So can't wait to dive into it. But before, so just to dive in a little bit more about who you are, Kalsum, is it responsible for selecting the food and beverage concepts that go into food hall companies, locations? You have two locations right now, one in Plano, Texas, and another one where we're sitting at the Plano, Texas location called Legacy, correct? And then we have the Nashville, Tennessee location that's going to be opening this fall? Correct. Open. Yes, third quarter. Beautiful. And uh, basically, you're the person that goes out and you find the talent, you, you're paying attention to the trends, and you're, and you're curating uh, this cultural experience for your guests. Accurate? Very accurate. Awesome. So we're going to kind of just dive into the world of food halls today. I have really have no idea exactly what we're going to discuss, but I'm really excited to learn more. But before we get into today's topic, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? What I've got is something that my mom always told me when we were growing up, and that was... If you follow your passions and make a career of it, you'll be happier than and better than anyone else. So what you do. Ooh. So how does that resonate with you? Oh, it's always resonated with me and I've always followed my passions. You know, you might not think that making a career in food and beverage could be, you know, what it is if, if I had not believed in that throughout my life. What exactly is your passion? My passion is food, anything and everything related to food and related to beverage. Um, and it has been since I was about four years old uh, growing up. Overseas, I was born in Pakistan and grew up all over the world and really got tremendous exposure to various cultures everywhere and, of course, their foods and just fell in love with that entire side of the side of the business. Awesome. So when did you first get attracted to uh, as far as working in the industry? Like, where did your career start? My career actually started in hotels. I actually went to Cornell University undergrad, and then when I graduated, I went to go and work in a hotel as an AGM and then as an F&B manager. I did that for about three years, loved every bit of it, went back to get my MBA at Cornell, and then launched right into food and beverage again with American Airlines, and that's why I moved to Texas. Okay. Um, so reflecting back at your career, any key mentors, any key people that stood out who really influenced who you are today? No doubt. Uh, after American Airlines, I moved on to TGI Fridays, and my okay. VP of marketing there was a gentleman by the name of Tom Konigsberg. And what I really appreciated about him was his balanced approach to everything. Um, his analysis always included both the consumer perspective and the ops perspective, and I think it's really important to take both perspectives when you're in the food and beverage business. Beautiful. So give me one specific nugget, reflecting back at your time with him. One thing, whether it's a, a scenario that played out, something that he did that you observed, or something that 
don't know, maybe it was like below the radar, like a, like a, between the lines that you figured out just from observing him. Did anything come to mind just reflecting back at this time? Well, just generally speaking, in, in, in terms of the functional area that I was responsible for, which was R&D, you're charged with being incredibly creative and innovative. And so I worked with a team of chefs and they came up with some wonderful items. We would present those items, and each time he would give us great positive feedback, but he would always come back to, well, how will they execute this in the restaurant? So it really taught me to think through all of the various steps involved in delivering something. And, you know, I finally realized that on a go-forward basis, everything you do, I mean, yes, it needs to be innovative, but it needs to be balanced with, you know, something that's executable is it, is it yeah is it practical is it, it practical are we turning over all the stones like this might be a great creative idea but like can it be replicated consistently yeah, exactly. day in and day out because if it can't how much is it going to cost are it, we going to be able to like turn a, re- a profit on this exactly or is it gonna be, yeah, exactly every aspect of that item he evaluated and i really learned a tremendous amount from him so. i love it so what what specific experiences before uh uh, the food hall world before working here at Legacy set you up for this role as curator. How do you even qualify for what it is that you do? It's a very like unique role within the hospitality realm. I think it. it I think my diverse background and my global perspective, and the fact that the breadth and depth of my food and beverage experience across a broad range of different industries has made it very, very relevant and appropriate for me. Um, you know, I have tremendous food knowledge and expertise, and at the same time, you know, I have a formal education from a business perspective. So I'm really able to bring that that balance. And in the food hall business, it's not just about tremendous food and the right operators and the right quality, but it's also about it being a win-win for everyone involved from a revenue standpoint and from a profitability standpoint. Yeah, and I hope to get into that. Um, so. You started with working within hotels. You went to Cornell, you're in hotels, and you transitioned to American Airlines, right? Yes. Um, so I'm curious. I feel like that being able to travel specifically, paint the picture for what you're doing with American Airlines. So at American Air- Airlines, I was a manager of menu design and product development. And that was um, the team that was responsible for developing all of the in-flight food and beverage service for all of American Airlines flights throughout the world. So we had different teams. The European team was responsible for developing meals on European flights. We had a Latin American team. And I was responsible for leading all of those teams and flying all over the world and working with local caterers on what that in-flight service should look like from a food perspective. So there's a whole other set of like hoops you got to jump through, reflecting back at your professor and what you learned from him. Like, is this achievable? Is this, this a great idea, but can we do it on an airplane? Exactly. So, in a really yeah. super tiny space, can exactly. we replicate it? And taste buds change when you're yeah. you know, operating at 40,000 square feet. So how will the food manifest itself at that? You know, at that level. So, are, was, you, are you trying to represent the cultures too that you're flying yes. to? Yes, kind of make that a part of the experience y- for the guests. You are, yes. So, I mean, it, you have sort of your core, you know, uh, concepts, but then you're integrating what we would refer to as a destination feature. So, wherever you're flying into, you want to instill a little excitement. So, you would feature ingredients from whatever that destination was for flights inbound yeah. and outbound. So, what what skills are you leveraging that you picked up then now? Just the, the incredible understanding of, of food from all over the world. I mean, yeah. I really have had exposure to... What a great job if you love to travel and eat e- food, right? Exactly. And I love both, just having grown yeah. up all over the world and loving food. That that was the perfect job for me right out of uh, right mean, out of school. I think that was kind of my dream. So I was a commercial pilot. Uh, uh, that was yeah. kind of my dream when I got into the, the aviation world to be able to go anywhere. Like That's ultimate freedom. 
and then I got into the industry and I realized that it's not quite that simple, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm right there with you. Uh, so what was next after American Airlines? After American Airlines, um, I made a move to TGI Fridays. I, right. I, I actually learned a lesson at American, which was I really and truly love food. And they determined that after seven years within food and beverage, I needed to move to another functional area okay. to expand my experience within American because okay. of the pool of, of, of folks that I was in. And so they moved me to Advantage Strategy, and I was the director of business strategy for Advantage, the frequent flyer program. Okay. And while that was fine, There's it was no food. really boring, <laughs> and there was no food involved. Yeah, right. So I, I knew I needed to make a change, and that's how I decided to go on to TGI Fridays. So why TGI Fridays? TGI Fridays was back in the day sort of the quintessential definition of, you know, um, the fern bar, casual dining. It sort of exemplified casual dining at the time, and it was sort of the first in the industry, if you will. So for me, it was the gold standard, and it was an opportunity to really learn as much as I possibly could about the restaurant industry in the context of what was considered at the time the gold standard. Yeah, and I hate to date you, Kulsoon, but when, when, like, when are we looking here? Is this like. Wow, we're talking about probably somewhere right around 1998. Okay, so this is. Uh, uh, TGI Fry started in, in Florida, correct? The first one, I believe, was in New York. New York? Yes. Okay, where did you come on? Where were you? Uh, to, in their corporate office, Okay, that, which is based in Dallas, Texas. Okay, got you. So when, what in what fashion did you come on with that? I, How came, did you? I came on board as their uh, senior director of research and development. Okay. So I was responsible for food and for beverages yeah, there. And what I'm trying to do right now for the listeners and for you is basically paint a picture of if you're interested in being a food curator, I mean, this is kind of a path you can take. Yes. Uh, being a research and development, it's, it seems like that's kind of like your research and development and, and curation of cultures and not just food, but like all that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So with TGI Friday, what did you, any key lessons that kind of set you up for what you're doing now? We're going back almost 20 years or over 20 years, but. I mean, again, always sort of, you know, keeping the guest in mind but keeping a practical eye on everything that we're doing. Mm. That was really something I learned firsthand at TGI Fridays, just because it was such a large chain and you really couldn't afford to do something that was super creative and out of this world because you knew it could be replicated consistently. So it really taught me the discipline to approach everything with balance. Got you. Any other... key experiences from your time after TGI Friday to getting this opportunity with Food Hall Company um, that set you up for success? Well, you know, my, my next step after TGI Fridays was 7-Eleven. Okay. And it was very interesting because at the time when 7-Eleven approached me, I thought to myself, what kind of food could 7-Eleven possibly have to sell? You know, I'm, I'm not interested in this opportunity. It's not food and beverage. And eventually they came back and convinced me that in point of fact, they wanted to be in the food and beverage business. And so they made a case and I ended up joining 7-Eleven and it was absolutely fascinating to look at fresh foods in the context of a convenience store. And, um, you know, learned a tremendous amount there because there for the first time, I was not only responsible for the creative side, R&D, and the culinary team that was developing all of these fresh sandwiches and salads and so on and so forth. But I was also responsible for the category management team, which is the business side, the P&Ls. And so each category manager is running 
a different business. For instance, the category manager of sandwiches is running the sandwich business Mm. from a business standpoint. And then I have chefs working with them on developing those products. So it was a tremendous experience for me. I can only imagine. To to work, you know, at 7-Eleven, honestly. Uh, So are you, I mean, I don't think many people realize the the reach of 7-Eleven. They're all over the world. All over the world. Yeah. I spent some time in Thailand and literally where I was staying in this fishing village slash like kind of vacation village. There's literally a Seven Eleven like every thousand feet yes. on the beach. Yes. And I got really familiar with their sushi hand roll things <laughs> yes. for some reason. Yes. Uh, but I never knew the reach that Seven Eleven had. So did you have to, the point that I'm getting at, did you have to kind of go into the different markets or, or were you just in the U.S. market or were you going to Asia and all these other places? So I was in the in the U.S. Okay. market. Um, and But we did travel to Japan to really experience Seven Eleven, you know, on its home turf. In Japan, Seven Eleven is viewed as your local uh, grocery store as your local restaurant. I mean, people stop in three times a day and they have deliveries three times a day in Japan. And so the vision was to sort of, you know, uh, bring that philosophy to the United States and apply it to the 7-Elevens in the U.S. Okay. And, and I, mean, I know there's a couple other stops that you have between 7-Eleven and here. Anything worth bringing to the surface before we transition on today's topic, which is food halls and what you guys got going on here, I think the only the only other thing I'll I'll mention is you know certainly my my time at rave movie theaters was tremendous from an experience standpoint as well because at rave movie theaters um, not only did they have a, restaurants inside the theater so this wasn't in seat dining this was actually a full serve restaurants inside the the theater before you actually started watching a movie and then they had concessions and then they had branded. QSRs like Nathan's hot dogs. And so okay. I was responsible for running three very different types of food and beverage businesses under the context of movie theaters. And that was certainly very interesting because you're working with QSRs, yeah. you're working with full service, and then you're working with concessions where you're moving through thousands of people within the span of half an hour before the movie starts. So what unique skills did you develop with that that you're leveraging today? Um, truly, you know, an understanding how to work with licensees because those QSR concepts were licensed. So I learned uh, a tremendous amount there. And, and then just in terms of concessions, how you really have to be built for speed yeah. uh, in order to move as many people through that line as possible before they go and the take a seat. Starts, right. right? <laughs> Otherwise, you know, beyond that, you've lost that opportunity to generate yeah. revenue. Perfect. Um, that's a good point. I never even thought about that because you, you get those people that are going to be like, "Well, I don't want to miss the the credits. I don't, or not the credits, but the the what do they call it? Sneak peeks. The yes, yeah. previews. Previews. Yeah. 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 I never even thought of that challenge. Yeah. The rest or the the cinema cinema experience. Whatever yes. you call it. Um, yes. And then theaters. and then beyond that, just quickly, um, you know, moved on to um, to Dave and Buster's. And Dave and Buster's for me, the the beauty of that, it really does tie into food halls as well. Just because Dave and Buster's is not just about, you know, uh, being a being a restaurant and being a bar, but it has that that entertainment aspect to it as well, which is games. So now you're starting to move into experiential. Okay. And that's exactly what food halls are all about the experience and and for instance you know the food hall company and legacy food hall we integrate all those elements as well with respect to food with respect to liquor beer wine and with respect to entertainment yeah and dave and busters had that entertainment aspect with the game so it really yeah. starts tying together but it, it's, it's after getting this out of you it's it's makes so much more sense now like the unique 
experience that you have that sets you up to be able to do this very unique job um, of curating restaurants and putting them into a space to create. It's about you know the food, the culture, and the experience, which we're yes. going to get into too. Yes. Um, so I think now is a good time to take our first break to thank our sponsors, and we'll come back to talk about the history of this food hall that we're sitting at today, Legacy, and the, the food hall company, how it came to be. Um, I'm really curious about that. So we'll, we'll be right back. Let's get real. Grease is a fact of life in any commercial kitchen. But with the grease fighting power of Dom Professional Manual Pot and Pan from P&G Professional, you'll clean more dishes in every sink compared to leading private label. Dom Professional has the power you need to fight tough grease and get those squeaky clean dishes you're looking for. With long-lasting suds that clean up to 58% more dishes per sink and reduce sink changeovers by 35%, saving you up to 6,000 gallons of hot water per year versus private label it's no wonder Don professional is the number one dish detergent in the u.s P&G Professionals complete restaurant cleaning program includes products, equipment, and 24-7 service to deliver a noticeable clean that will keep your patrons coming back time and time again. To learn more, go to www.pgpro.com and experience the grease-fighting power of Dom Professional dishwashing liquid. You can find Dom Professional at Sam's Club or by visiting samsclub.com slash Professional. Now go get it. So we're back, and um, like, what is? Well, first, I'm curious. I want to talk about the history of the food hall company, but what what do you know about the history of food halls in general? Like, what what was the trigger that brought this resurgence back with food halls? Because I mean, they've been around. I mean, anybody who grew up in the '80s and the '90s remembers going to the mall and there being a bunch. I mean, it's essentially that's a food hall, a little different. Yes, very different actually, yeah. but but similar in terms of the principles, which yeah. is having a you know a variety of different food under a single roof. Exactly. Uh, so when did this resurgence start? Like what triggered like this food hall as we know it today? So food halls have been around in Europe for a very long time. And how long? Um, honestly, off the top of my head, I don't recall how okay. long, but perhaps back, you know, through the 1980s. Gotcha. And, and I could be off on that. And um, the, our founders, Randy DeWitt and Jack um, Gibbons, were actually traveling back from Russia and they happened to stop in Amsterdam. And, and they asked locally where they should go to have a great meal, and they were f- referred to a place called Food Holland. And it turned out that that was a European-style food hall. Mm. So they were, of course, fascinated by it. They came back. They thought, what a great idea, you know, and sort of filed it away. And then the developer of Legacy West... When, when did they go through and have this experience? How long? Um, you know, I, it was some years ago. I don't, I don't recall exactly when, but it is something that they brought back. And then, you know, the developer of Legacy West actually came to them and said, you know, I've got this space. It's fifty-five to 60,000 square feet. Um, you know, what do you think you can do with it? that actually creates an anchor destination for us. Because, you know, I mean, in theory, we all know that retail is, you know, not as successful as it used to be. And in Mm -hmm. essence, it's dying. Yeah. So in theory, it was about what can be, you know, built here that actually creates the destination. And then folks go to shop retail. I was really curious about that. I'm happy you brought it up first and I didn't have to ask. So is this resurgence of the food hall kind of a reaction of the market where people don't go out and shop anymore but we have the space still that we need to put people in so yes. like, what's going to be the draw well what's going to yes. get people out of their houses to go into these vacant spaces exactly now, and and so the, the goal was to create this experiential destination anchor 
that drives t- traffic to the development. Yeah. And then drives business to all of the retail that's contained within that same mixed use development. Okay. So, um, what's a, give us a little background on front burner restaurants because the the gentleman you just mentioned that that was their original business. Uh, this this restaurant tour, these restaurant tours with front burner, they had what fourteen locations or something like that. I think I remember. So they yeah, actually unique, uh, concepts. They, they have been responsible for launching multiple concepts. They're an incubator, and so they've launched concepts like Velvet Taco, which is here in this in the space. Y- y- yes, Sixty Vines is a concept of theirs, full service. Um, you know, they have whiskey cake. They have a number of different concepts. They're very very creative. And how long has their restaurant group been around? When when did they come on scene? You know, I, I don't know the year. No, it's okay. Do not know the year. It's been a while though. It's it's been a while. It's been a while, and they're very well known in the industry. So, fourteen unique concepts. I think somewhere around like two or three hundred. Did I read like three hundred total locations with their concepts? Or um, did I make that up? But no, I, that's possibly right. Again, yeah. I don't know the Your specifics. Focus is on the, the yeah, my focus is on the food hall yeah. side of the business. Um, but you know that perhaps that's right. Okay. So, when did the the conversations like they they went over they they experienced the food hall on their travel? Um, they talked it away. When did that food hall conversation start to bubble back up? When this gentleman approached them saying, yes. we have this opportunity, yes. we have this space? Yes. Well, and, when was and, that? And I was not with the company at the time, okay. so I can't tell you when that was. But I know that Legacy Hall opened in 2017. And, you know, so that conversation could have been I'm maybe sh- a couple years prior to that. Yeah, I would now, assume you know, it took a few years to get a project three, like this. Two to three years, perhaps, prior yeah. to 2017. So, so 2013, 2014. Could be. Um, which makes sense, because around that time is when you started seeing the food halls in America start to pop up. You had Italy, which is, I think, one of the original, not the original, but they were early on. They were they, they follow that Mario Batali's yes. uh, concepts. Yes. They were kind of at the leading edge of yes. the food halls in the States. Yes. Um, so... When did they reach out to you and why did they reach out to you? What was that conversation like? Or did you reach out to them? So it was funny. I actually reached out to them because I was fascinated by the concept. Okay. And I had visited it and I thought, this is a really interesting concept. And I, quite frankly, had not seen a food hall prior to Legacy Food Hall after it opened. So I reached out to them and they immediately responded and said, come on in and let's chat. And we had a number of great conversations and they said, you're the unicorn we're looking for. Well, I think because of what you just shared with us, like this unique background, right? Like of curating, uh, getting the the experience with, uh, you mentioned the, the Dave and Buster's experience in the, the licensing of the contracts with uh, the, the cinemas. And yes. And then the international experience yeah. with all the different cuisines, et cetera, et cetera. So it yeah. all sort of came together perfectly. Interesting. So um, one of the things I'm curious about, and this is kind of a side topic, but you mentioned that there was this this void in retail when the internet emerged and people weren't going out to fill these spaces. Do you think there's going to be a, a reaction where if people start going to all these food halls, like there's going to be less people going to restaurants. Do you think we're cannibalizing our market a little bit? I I think it's a different, I think it's a different consumer or it can be a different occasion. Okay. You know, I, you know, there's full service restaurants for a certain type of occasion and there's food halls for a different type of occasion. So it's all, I think occasion driven and experience driven as well. It depends on what kind of experience you're, you're, you're looking to enjoy. Okay. So, uh, what are some of the benefits? So somebody who's listening to this who maybe there's a food hall going up in their community. Maybe they already have a restaurant that's open and they're looking to add channels of revenue. Yeah. 
what advice do you have for that person who's looking to get intro or involved in a food hall? What do we need to know? Well, the, the beauty of a food hall for small operators is the super low cost of entry. Okay. I mean, there's very little capital required. It's extremely low risk, and it's a phenomenal in- environment within which they can sort of test a concept if they want to try and incubate a new mm-hmm. concept, or it's a great environment to establish a brand identity and then expand that brand identity. Okay. So it's phenomenal for small operators. So it was a low overhead to get involved. Give, very, give, give very, me a ballpark of like on the low end and the high end to get involved. I the, mean, you know, it's it's going it's going to range depending upon how much equipment. space you have and the equipment. So it's sort of hard to give you a perspective, but you know, it can range anywhere from forty to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, which consider you know put up against a couple million dollars or even a five hundred thousand dollars. Exactly, is a much more attainable, yes. reachable. Yes. Um. So. What percentage of your vendors here would you say are people trying to test a concept or they're, they're, it's their first brick and mortar and they're trying to scale into something maybe on their own freestanding versus people who are already well established within the community who are already the big dogs, the big swingers that are just looking to expand their footprint? I would say that the minority are the bigger dogs that are already yeah. established and the majority are people who are trying you know, a concept for the first time or, you know, are moving from a food truck into a brick and mortar. So you like a 60-40 split? 70 uh, It's split? probably a 70-30 split, okay. to be honest. I'm actually happy to hear that you're giving more, you're using the space to give people opportunity. Absolutely. To, to break into the market. So what does, if, what things do we need to consider um, that aren't considered? We really kind of highlighted some of the benefits. Um, if there's more benefits, I don't want to cut you short. Uh, is there anything that I cut you short? Anything that, that was on the tip of your tongue as far as the benefits of being involved? You mentioned the low entry. You mentioned the low um, responsibility because you're kind of like renting, really. You're not re- if anything breaks. I'm sure. Like- it's and it's and it's also very manageable. I mean, you're working with a relatively small space. You're responsible for just running your concept. We are responsible for everything else, which makes it very very easy. What do you mean everything else? What's uh, the everything? Else? So the everything else is you know we are responsible for running all of the bars and all of the common areas and all of the bussers. And so we're, in essence, taking care of everything that's outside your specific stall. And what you're responsible for as an operator is your food and your labor. Taking and, the order, cooking the order. And cooking the order. Yeah. What exactly. About de- what about ship, like delivering the order? It's, 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 it's counter serve. Okay. So it just makes it a very easy model for most people to adapt to versus full service where you're employing hosts and hostesses and you know you've got back of house staff and front of house staff it's a very simple streamlined easy to manage model okay um what about like the agreement like what's that contract between food hall uh creator yourself the curator and the actual uh vendor like like what's that operation like contract look like is it I'm sure they have to pay something to be here, right? I'm like, well, how does yeah, that look? It, it's a license fee arrangement. Okay, and so everyone pays a license fee. That's a percentage of gross sales. Okay, um, and that's in essence how, how how the model works. So the beauty of that is, if you sell more, you pay more. If you sell less, you pay less. Okay. So again, that works very nicely because in essence, it's a sliding scale, so to speak. Yeah. So you're not if if I mean it, it makes it more attainable again. Yes. Um, so. 
what it, what's like what's a normal percentage that is it, it, it varies i mean there's so many variables involved that it's difficult for me to share a normal percentage to okay. be honest i've heard somewhere around 20 percent. is that accurate um you know it can range anywhere from 15 to 25 okay let's just you know say that so 20 percent is pretty accurate i mean in the middle you know i mean it, it, it's just as accurate as 15 is or 25 is yeah. as any other number in that range. So since this is kind of a new business model, newer, uh, what's the feedback on how that works? Is there good and bad feedback or like what's the general feel there? So from from our perspective, all of the feedback that we've received is tremendously positive. I mean, we have, you know, so many prospective operators contacting us constantly mm-hmm. about potential opportunities. I mean... So clearly, it's 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 a success. Yeah. People want to be in the food hall, and our operators here are very very happy with, you know, with with Legacy Food Hall. We have a number of operators who have asked for a second stall. Yeah, that's so cool. that really demonstrates the success of the model for yeah. us. So, um, what? So one thing we've learned on the show that's super important is that when you're going into a space, if you have a, a you know the, the operations agreements or the 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 contracts that you have to think about, this is a really unique situation. So, what unique things do we need to think about working into a contract if we're looking? Maybe we're we're in a different market, different city, looking to get involved in a food hall. How can we protect ourselves as the operator when we're looking at the contract, and vice versa? Maybe we're a curator. And we need to think about things to put into the contract to protect ourselves from the, the, the operator. You know what I'm saying? Like, what unique elements to a contract are involved in this situation that we need to consider? Well, I mean, the contracts are just really unique in general because they're license agreements. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, these our contracts have so much information in them, but they're designed to benefit both parties. I mean, if, if our operating partners aren't successful, we're not successful. So it's a very balanced approach, and I think it takes the operator's best interests in mind. And, and, and of course, you know, we do our best to protect ourselves yeah. if an operator should fail as well. What's, what's unique about a license agreement? versus other agreements? Uh, what's unique about a license agreement is it's typically short-term and it gives you tremendous amount of flexibility. So that's nice, again, for both parties because, you know, if you have somebody coming in that's never had their own concept, they try it out, let's say, for instance, and they're not comfortable, they don't, you know, they decide they don't really want to... to or it's a bust. Do, or Nobody it's a bust. It, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's very simple for them to exit. So when you say flexible, you're talking about like... Sh- Time. Yes. So you're not locked into a one-year contract. Is it by month? Is it no, quarterly? It, it, it's typically a three-year contract, but there's just a lot of flexibility built in if people, you know, decide this isn't the right three model years for them. Is usually pretty short compared to I think average would be anywhere from five to a ten-year yes. lease, right? Yes. So that's pretty cool. To know. And we're, um, you know, and to be honest, like we really listen to our to our partners, and so you know, we're very reasonable. This isn't about you know taking advantage of people or you know, moving people out. I mean, everything we do is done with our collective best interests what do you in mean mind. Moving people out. Um, you know, stall operators out who want out. Oh, okay. I mean, we're not motivated necessarily to do that. Yeah. We do want a certain amount of natural turnover, just because that provides us with new news. Keeps you fresh. It keeps us fresh. Yeah. Um. So I'm really curious. Do you do you have a success story like of somebody? Who maybe had been working in the restaurant, maybe was a chef de, a chef de cuisine yes. or a sous chef that wanted to break away and start something new. Yes. Uh, give us an example of a, yep. success, a success. So a perfect story. example is of our uh, sushi stall downstairs, um, Horu Sushi. Okay. The gentleman was a chef with Steel, a well-known you know local uh, restaurant. Um, he's been in fine dining. He's done it all from a culinary standpoint. He also happens to be a grad of UT Austin in statistics. Nice. Um, but he's all 
always wanted to have his own place. And he was so very persistent with me. So one key point to note, if you're persistent, the opportunity will come your way. Yes, um, when I first started with the food hall company in 2018, he had approached and said, hey, I'm really interested in doing a sushi concept. And we didn't have an opportunity at the time, but it was a gap in our nice. product mix. So um, he just kept checking in with me. I said, keep checking in with me, Steve. Keep checking in with me. How long did it take him to get a yes? Uh, it took over a year. Wow. And finally, I said, looks like we have an opportunity. Let's do this. So um, he opened Horu Sushi. It's one of our top stalls in terms of performance and so successful, in fact, that he said, Kulsum, if there's another opportunity, I'd love to have another stall. There's another opportunity. It opens on Tuesday. Same concept? Nope. It's okay. it's hibachi and ramen. Interesting. So he has now a second stall here that he's opening uh, next That's Tuesday. Awesome. Yeah. So it's fantastic. So I think you you kind of just like uh, hovered over a topic that might be of value, uh, you know, persistence. But what else do we need to know if we're trying to break into a food hall? Being somebody who's the you know that says yes or no mm-hmm. to these people, what do you like to see when somebody approaches you to pitch you a concept? So, yeah. So what I am looking for when I am, you know, evaluating different potential partners is the overall balance that they offer. You know, there are a lot of celebrity chefs who feel that they know it all um, and yet they may not necessarily be a good fit for us. There may be great operators who, you know, quality isn't necessarily their strong suit. So what we're looking for is balance. We're looking for food passionate entrepreneurs that can execute consistently holistically holistically yes. and without compromise and so the key is balance for us we need operators that know how to deliver high quality freshly prepared foods consistently but they also you know have to be operationally savvy because a food hall environment is so different from a brick and mortar you're working in this 250 to 450 square foot space and the foot traffic is unbelievable so factors like speed of service throughput operational efficiency all become critical to your success are there like boxes that you absolutely have to check when you're deciding um whether to say yes or no to somebody like are there like the 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 mandatory like the what are the most important boxes that you're checking when you're approving or disapproving somebody first of all the quality the quality of the product is by far the most important piece of it for us. Okay. And then, you know, the, the second piece of it is, can they execute it consistently day in and day out with 35,000 people a week coming through our food hall? Okay. Or in Nashville, it's 75,000 people a week. Wow. You know, you, you can't be in a position where you're taking shortcuts and the quality has to be there every day. How are you checking fail. that to make? Are there are there checks and balances you put in place as a curator to make sure that those standards were the same on like day? We'll say, we'll say day thirty because yes. it takes some time to you know accelerate into and get your your, your groove going. Yes. And how do you make sure that after day one hundred and thirty, it's the same? Are you well so, tracking this stuff? So what what we what we are doing is we work very closely with our operators so let's say for instance they're making a change to their menu that's something that has to be approved by us so we are actually sampling new menu items that okay. they're adding to the menu they're deleting menu items and then as we travel you know um, to our food halls we are consistently trying food items throughout the course of the year at at every 
you know, stall to ensure that everything is on track and consistent. We also monitor social media. I mean, we have various analytics to help us keep up with, you know, how our stalls are performing, both qualitatively and quantitatively. And, and we keep up with those metrics. Okay, cool. Okay, I think we're at a good spot to take our second break. We'll be right back to kind of look at this. I think right now we've been looking at it from more of a restaurant owner perspective. But now I'm kind of curious. I know there's some people out there that are interested in starting their own food halls. And I think they don't even know where to start. Uh, so I want to focus on that next. One more quick break. All right. If you're sick of paying multiple vendors and services to outfit your restaurant needs only to deal with the frustrations of technology that's clunky and void of that seamless experience that you so need, then you've got to check out Restaurant 365, a cloud-based restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, food and beverage vendors, and banks. With Restaurant 365, you'll have real-time reporting and analysis to make the best and most data-driven decisions no more guessing. Other features include detailed daily and labor data from your POS system, accounts payable automation, automated bank reconciliation, incorporated inventory management with guidance on reducing your food costs, and scheduling features to reduce labor costs and engage your employees, all saving you time, money, and headaches. Take action today and find out how Restaurant 365 is saving restaurant owners up to 5% of on prime costs. That's awesome. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and get a free inventory build within the system, a value of 5k. I'm sure you felt it before, right? That pressure, that intense pressure to have your restaurant website on point, but you should have that pressure. You should feel this way because your restaurant website is so important. It is your first impression and it represents your entire brand. But here's the thing. You're not a web developer. You're a restaurant owner. So how can you be held to these standards? Well, with a bento box, that's how bento box empowers you to own your presence, profit and guest relations, all with full support, integration and analytics. And here's something that's really great about Bento Box is that it prioritizes website accessibility. So with Bento Box, you can get a certified accessible restaurant website that follows ADA guidelines and supports your business because this is how you show your people you care. Beyond that, Bento Box websites drive 70% more traffic. They see seven times more conversions and get five times return on investment. What else can I say? Well, how about over 5,000 restaurants in all 50 states and around the world are using this platform with its suite of tools. Head over to getbento.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you'll save 50% off your setup. Again, that's getbento, G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O.com slash unstoppable. So we're back and up to this point, we're going to be kind of talking from like the restaurant tour perspective, trying to get into a food hall and leverage the the space that's provided. But I know there's a few people out there that are really interested in starting food halls. Um, but operationally, like what are the things that need to be considered that might not be so obvious? Like in a restaurant, we have the executive chef, we have the general manager, we have the manager, we right. have the line staff, right? We, we have the do, you know, yeah. we have the director of marketing. Yeah. Like what are the what are the positions that are unique or the roles that are unique to big picture with a food hall? Yeah. So quite, quite frankly, that's a good, that's, that's a great question. Um, 
you know, and we believe, the food hall company believes that we're very differentiated from any other food hall company, generically speaking, for a number of um, different reasons, uh, starting with the fact that, you know, we're self-funded, we design and develop our own food halls, we curate our own food halls, we market our own food halls, and then we operate our own food halls. So we have a vested interest from start to finish in the success of our food halls, which is not typically the case. What is typical? What's typical is a food hall may be built by a developer, and then there's a third party that might be managing it, or very often, one of the stalled operators within that food hall is responsible for turning the lights on, and somebody else is responsible for turning the lights off. Okay. There is no on-site staff. There is no hands-on active management of the business day in and day out. And that is something we do that we believe nobody else does. So what happens, what's the byproduct of what you just described, where you have contracts all over the place coming together? Right. So, 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 so the beauty of it is because we have an operations team in place, once we've curated a food hall, we continue to operate it. So we have a general manager in, in our food halls. We have operations managers. We have a beverage manager. We have an entertainment manager. So we have a number of different roles, and we have a dedicated marketing team to each food hall who is you know, focused on driving traffic to that to that food hall. So that team is working day in and day out to operate the food hall as a whole. So when you have all of these different and diverse stall operators, they have a resource to go to, as do our guests if there are issues, which you won't find to be the case most anywhere else in another food hall. You don't know who to go to if you have an issue. Do you go straight to the stall operator? There's no general manager. Yeah. You know, if you have issues, who do you speak with? And so we have all of that because we're vertically integrated. Yeah, I think when you're vertically integrated, uh, everyone's pulling in the same direction. Yes. Uh, there's one overarching mission. There's one overarching set of values. There's one, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. So, so the, you're not divided. You're not just contracting things out. Everyone's just kind of showing up to collect their check and doesn't really care about what's happening over there. That's not my lane. That's not, that's not my problem. Problem, yes, right? it's a very close-knit environment, and everyone is dependent upon everyone else for their success. I love it. So what are some of the unique challenges that you're faced with uh, when trying to bring all these people who have these different businesses under one roof? Because in a restaurant, we have like a certain mission statement, values, vision, something that we're trying to obtain with our brand that's aligned to what we're trying to do, but then right next door... On one side of us, there's a whole set of different like values and visions, and on the other side, there's a whole new and like mm-hmm. you're surrounded by all these different companies. Yeah. But collectively, there's a, an overarching culture for the the food hall. So how do you draw those lines, or how do you get people to come together for a common, separate cause that is the food hall? Well, that's typically on the front end of the process when we're curating. We're having those kinds of conversations. We're really getting to know the concept and the operating model and the operator and the individual's approach to food, etc. So once they're in our food hall, we know that they meet our established standards and therefore there should be no challenges with respect to them running their business and having any conflicts with anyone else who's running a business. We also make a very concerted effort not to overlap types of cuisines so that people aren't directly competing with one another and cannibalizing, that there's plenty of room for sales growth for everyone uh, because otherwise you're just cannibalizing sales if you have two pizza concepts or two burger concepts. So again, making certain that they can be successful as well. Okay. Um, What about 
trend, like we mentioned something earlier about staying fresh, right? And you want there to be a certain level of turn. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, what happens when people don't want to leave? Have you had this issue yet where there's just you, you reach match like maximum capacity, everyone's kind of squatting in their in their respective space, but maybe the trends are changing? Um, so there will always be a natural amount of attrition for many different reasons, you know, whether it's, you know, issues with yeah. health or somebody wants to go to a brick and mortar now that they've, you know, a full service brick and mortar now it's that they've success. incubated their concept yeah. and it's a success. So there will always be turnover. For us, ideal turnover is about 10 to 20% because that allows us... Per year? To, per year. Okay. Because that allows us to keep bringing in new concepts and whatever is most relevant at any given point in time from a food standpoint. That makes sense. I mean, when you have you have 20 units here, right? 21, so, yes. 21 units. Yep. So, I mean, at that rate, I mean, how many about how many new spaces are opening up each year, would you say? So, uh, anyway, I mean, you know, on average, it'll probably be anywhere from 2 to 4. Okay. 2 which, to 4. Do you think do you wish it would go faster or do you like that pace? I, I think that's a great pace because yeah. you're you're keeping some stability, some concepts in place, but then you're constantly integrating new news which always drives interest and drives traffic. Okay. Um Anything else that I haven't asked you up to this point that you think is super relevant that we need to know if we're either A, looking to be involved, putting our restaurant in a food hall, or B, looking to create our own curation of restaurant operations? The, the only point I'd like to make is if you're truly interested in being in one of our food halls at the food hall company, when you complete that application online at our website, make certain you're as thorough as you possibly can be and take the time necessary to be as detailed as possible because I'm not in a position to actually meet with everyone face-to-face. Yeah. So the way I filter a lot of potential concepts is by the amount of information you're providing me on the front end. Can you give me some examples of specific details you're looking for? So let's say, for instance, it's a hibachi ramen concept. I'm just making that up. Part of the application is, you know, tell me about your menu. What kinds of food items are you going to sell? What's your pricing going to be? What kind of equipment do you need? What's your unique proposition? You know, a lot of applicants will take a very cursory approach to that and just say, I want to do Japanese food. If you actually walk through the kinds of foods... That's going to get me engaged. So the and more specific, interested. the more specific you are on okay. what it is you want to do. If you had a food stall at our food hall, the more interested you're going to make me, okay. and therefore the more likely I am to be in touch with you about what it you know your your concept. Okay. One thing that I did not get into earlier, but it just came into my head now: uh, when you're moving into a space and you're you're a new concept entering a food hall. Um, you're putting up, I think we identified anywhere from like 40000 to like 150000 or whatever it was. Am I covering the cost of my equipment up front, like my range, my ovens? Like how does that work? The, model, the models vary. We okay. have different models depending upon the operator's capabilities. So it's, it, it can range. It can okay. range. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that if it's like a custom piece that you won't be able to repurpose in another concept that goes, like, I mean, if it's an oven... That's pretty standard. But if it's a wok, like a special like hibachi like flat right. or like whatever, right. um, 
I'm assuming that you're going to make them kind of probably be responsible for that because they're, they're likely going to take it with them, right, when they leave? They're likely going to take it with them if they yeah. brought it. Okay. So so that's that's the way it works. But again, as I said, it, it's, it's a model that has so much flexibility to yeah. it that in some cases the equipment is already present if it's a second generation stall. So if you're coming in, whatever equipment is there, you can use and then add whatever else you need. Yeah. In cases where it's first generation, like Nashville, we're doing the build out and, you know, and we're working with those stall operators on the specific equipment that they need in that stall. So the model varies depending upon first generation, second generation capabilities of the operator, resources of the operator, etc. Okay. Um, one last thought that just came into my mind. I think I can try to find it. It left my because I was trying to listen to you at the same time. Um, ah, it escaped me. I can't remember what it is. Oh, wait, I get it now. So, um, <laughs> what what opportunities are out there right now in the food hall world? Like, what's like we're at a certain point with the food hall like evolution. Like, what's the next evolution with food halls? Like, what what are the the, the leading brands doing that the other brands aren't doing? I would say it's what we're doing because we consider ourselves to be the gold standard. And that is this fully integrated approach that's based on the experience and really, you know, sort of food theater, the art of cooking on display and tying that in to various other events and, you know, programming events to constantly drive interest and traffic and engagement. So it's not just you ordering food at a bunch of options. It's like there's that. That, and then food is the exactly food yeah. is the foundation but then there's more give me some examples of the and thens the and thens are beyond food there there's the bar side of the business there's the uh, special events uh, side of the business there's the catering side of the business there's the corporate sales side of the business and there's the entertainment side of the business and how we program uh, you know, live music and free concerts and tie-ins to Mardi Gras and Chinese New Year and, you know, have movies during the week and, you know, summer play days because kids are out from school. So it's sort of integrating all those aspects under a single roof to create that it's experiential. More yes. That's going on here. Yes. That's interesting. Uh, what What's the future look like? What's the next evolution if we're so, here now. Right. I mean, I, you know, from food, from the food hall perspective, I can't say what the evolution is at this yeah. point. I, I, I honestly don't know It'll at this stage. It'll be very interesting to see yeah. what happens next. So what's the future for a uh, food hall company look like? I think the future looks tremendously bright. We have, you know, a great number of different opportunities. We have developers coming to us constantly. Because, as I said before, we are considered to be the gold standard. And so, you know, the opportunity for us is limitless. I will come back to the question you just asked about what does the future look like for food halls. I think for the most part, many food halls will no longer exist in the long term if they solely rely on the traditional model, which is put in a few stalls that sell food and, you know, and that's it. Yeah. Why is that? Because consumers are looking for an experience. They're looking for a destination. They're looking for more than just food. They're looking for, as you mentioned, sort of a a place where they can come together and experience something social and connect and interact and, you know, have a degree of adventure associated with all of it and experimentation. You're not just curating 
food concept. We're curating, You're curating an experience a and an experience. Yeah, an experience. I yes. love it. I love it. This has been great. Uh, anything that we did not discuss, now's the time to get it out. I think we covered most we of it. We did cover a lot. Yes. And, uh, this was a unique interview for me. So thank you for all my weird questions. I uh, This is the first time I've had a food hall operator on the show. So thank you for being the first there. My pleasure. And uh, one question I want to start asking all my guests, or I have been asking all my guests. So the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So how have you transformed? Who are you today versus the woman you were when you maybe got started here or in the industry? You know that's that's a challenge for me to articulate that. Yeah, it's not an easy question. It's it's really not an not an easy question. I can just say that I have always been someone who's been interested in learning as much as I possibly can about food and beverage in its various shapes and forms. And this opportunity once again has enabled me to learn so much more and really educate myself on the business. So. That's what I take away from where I am today. Is there one operator, and this is another question I ask all my guests before I wrap up, is there one operator that you respect and admire and is like the gold standard to like what the industry should look like? Who is the first name that comes to mind when I say that? Call them out to be a future guest on this show. You don't have to make an introduction or anything like that, but I put them on my radar. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I come back to, you know, front burner from that perspective and just Randy and Jack in terms of what they've done with um, their restaurant concepts. I yeah. think they're amazing folks and they've done tremendously well and they're known for innovation. And Randy and Jack. Randy and Jack. Look out, Randy and Jack. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. <laughs> and uh, maybe we can talk to them about some of the questions that are more pertain to starting a food Yes, that would be perfect, actually. Yes, they can yeah. give you that background I'd better than that. I can. Randy, Jack, look out. I'd love to get you on the show. And uh, I think that's it. How can we connect if we want to maybe pitch you an idea uh, for coming into one of your food halls? And you're, you're expanding throughout the country, so maybe you should let my listeners know yes. where you'll be. Yes. So we'll be in Nashville next, and then beyond that, we have several projects in the pipeline that we can't announce at this point in time. But if you, you give me like northeast, southwest, um, west coast, east coast, south and north. Okay. So, you know, throughout the US opportunities. If you're interested in in, you know, an opportunity in our food hall, um, food halls, then just go to our website at the Food Hall Co and there's a place where you can complete an application and I will be the person that will respond. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to to share your story and your knowledge today. I'm always afraid to say your name because it's so unique. (laughs) Kulsum, I'm saying it correctly, right? Yes, you are. Uh, There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You're awesome. Well, there we go. Another one in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks again to Kulsum, Clavon. Uh, and as you can tell, like this is just uncharted territory for me. So I, I hope you guys found value. I hope I asked some good questions that are that served you well if you're looking to open a food hall or maybe that you're just looking to get your start in a food hall. Uh, a lot of really clear benefits involved with the food hall, uh, that low overhead. Uh, and basically, you can get a lot of support with sourcing the, the tools and equipment you're going to need in that food hall. And you can be a part of a community and it's a really great launching pad. Um, I'm interested in learning more about it. I'm going to get, get the, the founders of Front Burner on the show, uh, The also the founders of the Food Hall Company, uh, and hopefully they can kind of help us learn a little bit more about how to start a food hall, uh, what lessons they learned the hard way. It'll be really interesting, so I'm going to try to get them on the show for you guys. 
And don't forget that this show, this episode today was video recorded. So if you want to watch the, the video interview and also kind of get a, a behind the scenes of what this food hall looks like, uh, this food hall, legacy food hall in uh, just outside of Dallas, Texas, uh, head over to the YouTube channel and subscribe and watch this video. Uh, if you're listening to this on iOS or your, or your iPhone, the podcast player, the, the iTunes podcast player will let you actually look at the show notes right through the player. So just scroll down on your player and uh, click the YouTube channel and subscribe, please, and then watch this episode. Uh, also, I really was interested in today's chat because my my listeners were asking me to get somebody to represent a food hall on the show. So where I'm listening to my listeners is over at the Facebook group. So again, if you scroll down into the show notes on the player that you're listening to right now, hopefully if it's iTunes specifically, I know for certain you can do this. Click and uh, join the Facebook group. Join that community. Join the conversation. And uh, yeah, join the, the support group. So um, what else? do I need to remind you of um, keep those five star reviews coming you know they really help and it's something I, I, I used to remind my listeners a lot to do to, to uh, leave those five star reviews on iTunes but uh, yeah if you haven't left a review and maybe you're somebody who wrote me an email thanking me the best way to thank me is through those reviews so please leave those five star reviews they really help and then lastly the best way to support Restaurant Unstoppable is by spreading the word about what we're doing here, about these stories. So if you found value in today's show or other shows, please share it. I think that's all for today. So thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.